Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> uh, yes, I have a lot of notes. I may not. If it gets to be about, you know, too late into the morning, somebody come up here and stop me. <laughs> Thank you. Got lunch. I know we got lunch waiting, and we got kids that are over there, and it's always tough for those uh, workers who are uh, waiting for us to come and get them. So we'll try and be on time, be punctual. Uh, speaking of the, uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Steve Welsh. I'm one of the elders here, and I, uh, I love God. I love to teach. I am an assistant principal at Lakeview Centennial High School, and don't hold that against me. I try to, uh, you know, be a good leader, be a good example wherever I am, just use the gifts God's given to serve others faithfully. So hopefully I won't do too bad a job this morning for you, and you'll get something out of it. Uh, I was reminded when uh, Angela was praying for the kids and community about the world of education, and it reminded me, it kind of fits right into our, our sermon, our, our text today, that uh, a long time ago, you know, the United States was the first country ever to mandate a public education, to mandate, to require compulsory attendance in school. And uh, it, the first law ever to be put onto the books, the very first law to be officially written as an ordinance, was in the East Coast. I know you don't believe that, but it was. Um, so it was called the Old Deluder Satan Act. The Old Deluder Satan Act. Y'all, have you ever heard of it? Anybody? Yeah. A couple of you have? Yeah. So it's called, it was, it was said there that our children should study, should go to school and study the Word of God so that old deluder Satan might not distract them, might not get to them and destroy them. Makes sense, right? Makes you kind of proud to send your kids to school now, right? So um, I don't know about that. There's still a little bit. Of, we still need a lot of prayer, so pray for us. Okay, I want to uh, share with you a couple of things by way of introduction. <clears throat> Some of the recent headlines, I looked at headlines yesterday, last night, and I want to share with you some of the headlines. Of course, the Charlottesville, Virginia protests, uh, state of emergency, bad things are happening, right? Uh, I don't know, there's something called a sex robot now. They've invented a robot for, um, you can try this before you buy it. You no longer need to interact with another human being or a spouse. Uh, pollution is being blamed for lung cancer. Uh, everything being blamed for cancer, but pollution. Uh, there uh, were two gay uh, students in a school district in the East Coast um, who are being uh, who are suing the school because they deleted their offensive quotes from the yearbook. Bullies have uh, these two bullies. There was a story about two bullies that nailed a wooden plank to an autistic boy's head and walked away, leaving it there. Of course, you know the recent headline about Zeke, the domestic violence, and uh, the shocking thing about Zeke's story is that there are a lot of people upset that he was suspended, even though there's this video of him doing something he shouldn't do. Uh, I, I think it's probably a good thing. It's my opinion. Okay, so uh, how can we, what are we supposed to do in a world like this? What are we as Christians, what are we supposed to do? How do we navigate life in, in this world of craziness. And that's just a few of them from last night. And you can imagine all the things that are going on. Um, well, uh, there's hope. There's, there's really hope. 
there was a, God has given us, there's a, a story also about, God has given us his word to help us, okay? And that's what we're going to be focusing on. And I want to share with you a quick illustration. Uh, there was an old story of a USS uh, Navy ship who was caught in the fog. And uh, it was a very, very dense fog. And uh, all of a sudden, the watchman calls out, there's a light up ahead, there's a light up ahead. And so, because it's such dense fog, the captain of the ship starts, says, signal them that we're, we're on a collision course. You need to turn around. So they start the signaling, and they start the flashing of the, yes, the Morse code. And then Morse code comes back from the other light that says, you need to turn around. And the guy says, you need to tell them that I'm a captain of a USS Navy vessel, and this is authorized by the United States government with the armed forces. They need to clear the way immediately. So they flash the signal, clear the way, clear the way. Well, the signal comes back through the fog. He says, we understand you're a USS captain. We understand you're authorized by the USS military, but we are a lighthouse. Turn around. So there's a point to being warned, and the scriptures are there. The scriptures are our lighthouse. Um, Psalm 119.105 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Yes, that's where we're going to be today. Our text this morning is going to be in Psalm 19, so you can turn there if you want to. Uh, I'm going to draw on several different uh, illustrations, and several different things from my past to try to help you understand what God is telling us through his word this morning. One of them uh, is the story of Odysseus. Y'all familiar? Y'all remember Odysseus from the Odyssey? What was Odysseus known for? Wisdom. Yes, he was known for his wily ways, the man skilled in all the things of wisdom. Well, he, uh, Odysseus was kind of my favorite guy, one of my favorite guys in Greek mythology. Having taught English forever, I love the story of the Odyssey. Did you? you I'm not going to teach you the Odyssey. <laughs> but the Odyssey, uh, one of the things Odysseus was known for was wisdom. Well, you know, he wasn't all that, all that wise a guy. He always had the help of Athena, his goddess, the goddess of wisdom. So, and, he, and she didn't do a very good job because he had to go to the underworld and he had to go all, it took him like 40 years to get home. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking that was not very good wisdom. But he had to go to God. So I think there's something in there for us. We have to go to God, but we're gonna go to the true God to help navigate our course in life. And hopefully we won't take us quite as long and we don't have to go through quite as much trouble. So uh, the, the illustration about studying God's word is sort of a lot of most people don't ever even get to it. Those who do basically skim across the top of the water and like in a boat. If the word of God is the water, they're just sort of skimming the surface of it. And then there are others who scuba dive. They get out in the water, they put the wetsuit on and they go down and really get down into the water. I don't know if any of you have ever scuba dived before, but it's like a, a different world, is it not? You think you know the water, you think you know the ocean, but if you get down there and start scuba diving and really explore the, the reefs and the fish and all the plant life down there, it is an amazing, amazing place. So we're going to scuba dive this morning. Why don't people study God's Word more? Well, R.C. Sproul said they're lazy. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? R.C. Sproul said they're lazy, they don't study the Word of God. It's not that they don't understand it. It's not that it's difficult. It's just because we're lazy. Uh, maybe. Maybe we are lazy. I think a lot of us get discouraged in life. I know. Um, so one of the, um, 
I don't know about you, but whenever I have difficulty in the world or good times in the high points, my first response is to go to God's word. My first response is to break down in prayer and seek him out. I know when I had uh, my cancer a while back, me and Melanie share that. I'm sure some of you others have, have had that experience. We just found out that a member of our life group uh, relative has a stage four cancer. And when that disease comes in, you know, uh, it's, it's natural to go to the doctor. It's natural to go get some help from physicians. It's natural to go get that medicine. But the first place to go is for a Christian is to God's word, to his people. That's what we need to do. Even Job, in spite of all his suffering and all his loss, he wrote in Job 23, 12, he said, I have not departed from the commandment of God's lips. I have treasured his words more than my food. Job 23, 12. It's important for us to know the word of God is the place where we can get our wisdom. Now, why should we study? What's, I mean, there's some, there's some things here about the word of God I want you to get. First of all, it's not... There's a lot of people in the world who don't have one of these. If they have one, they don't care about it. It doesn't mean anything to them. For Christians, it's important that you understand this is, this is God's love letter to you. And it's his message to you. It's our guidebook. It's our post. It's the instruction manual. He created the world. He designed it. He engineered it. He created us. He designed us. He engineered us. This is the manual. This is the instruction manual. You have to study this to know how to live this world. Now, you can veer from it. But bad things will happen. It's sort of like, um, but can you uh, break God's law? Is it possible to break God's law? I don't really know that it is. Shannon gave us an illustration a few weeks back about gravity. And I'll take this uh, a little further, expand on it a little bit. But if I were to come up and put on a blue morph suit and put red underwear over the top of it and tie a red cape around my neck... <laughs> And tied, climbed to the top of the tallest building in Dallas, and I would shout to the world, I'm going to break the law of gravity. And I jump off of the building, what will I break? Everything on me, yeah. So by doing so, I haven't broken the law of gravity, I've proved the law of gravity. I have proved it works. So the same principle holds true for us. In a sense, there's really no way to break God's law. If we go outside the commandments, if we go outside the instructions, we prove what he said. We prove that he has, he told us if we, if we step away from him, if you follow my, if you, you are my people called by my name and I am your God. If you do what I say, if you follow my commandments, I will bless you. If you don't, bad things will happen. What happened? True? Right. So we're learning this. You, you know this by experience. It's important that we study God's word. It's not, it should not be confusing. If you're, for Christians, the word tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that there is a man without a spirit. He cannot understand the things that come from the spirit because they're spiritually discerned. But if you're Christian, if you're born again believer, you have the spirit of God to help you discern and disciple and to understand what God's telling you in his word. All right. We're getting there. So let's, uh, let's go on. I want to tell you more about uh, what Jesus has to say about to us uh, in studying God's word. Jesus told us in John 18, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fight, uh, fight to keep me that I would not be delivered into the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. 
We're not from this world. We're visitors. We're aliens. We're strangers. So the things in this world should not just devastate us. We have a hope that other people don't have. We know the end. It's like Angela prayed at the end of her prayer. We look forward to that day when God comes and sets everything right. We, we win. I, don't, I feel so sorry. I don't know what it's like to give a funeral. I've, I've done two funerals. I don't know what it's like to, do, to be at a funeral when the person in the casket, you don't know if they were a believer or not. I, that could, that, I wouldn't know what to say. My hope would be that the people in the room would accept Jesus and not have to, to wonder what's going to happen to them when they die. But you can know what's going to happen to you. But we're not of this world. And so because we're not of this world, we need to understand the, spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now the things of the Spirit, this, is, this comes from the Spirit. In 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.16, he tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, training in righteousness. It's 2 Timothy 3.16. So all Scripture is God-breathed. So we know that this comes from the Spirit of God. All right, the Bible also tells us in Ephesians 5.1, he says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. So what's the model? What's the example? The example is in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Jesus is facing the devil. Now, why does the devil come up in this? I don't like talking about the devil. I think it gives him too much credit. But he's a very, it's a very real thing we got to talk about. He's a very real entity. He's, a, he's not a human. He's a spirit. He's a fallen angel. But he, uh, in Ephesians, God tells us that he is, this is his domain. He has power. He is the principality and the power of this dark world, of this dark world. And it's his flaming arrows that come at us all the time that cause all these, well, we, we by ourselves sometimes cause our own problems. But the devil is also an adversary we have to face. When Jesus faced the adversary, what did he do in Matthew chapter 4, or in all the Gospels really? He went to the Word. When the devil came to him and tried to tempt him to sin against God, he went to the Word. Jesus said, it is written. It is written. And that's our model. We go to the Word. When we face something in the world, we go to the Word. Uh, it reminded me this week uh, that when we were studying Daniel, we're in, in our life group, we're studying Daniel. And uh, when Daniel was facing Nebuchadnezzar, he's like a 20-year-old kid. He's standing up there facing Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king in the world. The king of kings, as God calls him in his stat when he interprets the statue. He's the king of kings, is what God called Nebuchadnezzar. And this 20-year-old kid standing in front of him, and Nebuchadnezzar wants him to interpret the dream. And he says, tell me the dream. Tell me what it means. And Daniel says, I can't do it. There's not a human on this planet that can tell you your dream. I can't do it, but God can. I can't do it, but God can. And so he goes back. That's, what we, that's how we face the world. We can't do it, but God can. We can't do it, but God can. Whatever the issue is, we can't do it, but God can. And the Word gives us the wisdom to do so. Now, <clears throat> One of the reasons I wanted to teach you guys from Psalm 19 is because I have a, uh, one of my, my goal, I mean, one of my passionate beliefs about the church, and it comes from, it comes from an, it's, it's born out of a negative thing. I see people all the time jumping churches. Man, they go from this church to that church to that church. It drives me crazy. I can't stand that. So 
You know, I, I tell Shannon this all the time. You know, you don't know how good a preacher we have. Shannon, he studies, he preaches, he delivers the word, and it is solid. It is, believe me, I, I, I am so impressed. So you guys, we are very, very, very fortunate to have a pastor that studies and delivers a word like he does. Now, <clears throat> but I tell him all the time, I don't come to this church for you, Shannon. <laughs> I don't come to this church to hear Brian and Angela, although this is amazing. I just get so much joy when we worship together. I don't come to this church because it's in a great location. Oh, this building is doing, serving us well. I come to this church because it's where God told me to come. This is my church. And I can't stand it when people go looking for something other than that. We gather, we gather together as, as believers, as God tells us to do in Hebrews. It says, do not forsake the fellowship of the gathering together. Spur one another up in love and good deeds. The word is taught. The, we worship together, we pray together, we love on each other, we minister to each other. That's church. That's church. And people who jump around, I, I don't know why. Drives me crazy. The, you know, I, this, is the ch- this is the word. It doesn't say you go looking around for some gimmick. It doesn't tell you to go look. It says, do not forsake the fellowship of believers. He says, and we, God gave us pastors and teachers in Ephesians 4, God gave his pastors and teachers to do what? To prepare us for works of service. For why? So that we can all be built up into unity in the faith until we all reach knowledge and the maturity in the Son of God. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. You can look it up. It says, so why? So we all reach knowledge and maturity in the faith. Why? Why is that important? It's because there's things in this world that cause trouble. He goes on in Ephesians 4, he says, there are winds and there are waves of doctrine that toss us around. And if you're not grounded in the word, if you're not anchored deep, if you don't have a pastor and a teacher discipling you, you will sink. We don't have to worry about that as believers. We have an anchor. We have a pastor. We have a teacher that teaches from the word of God. Why? So we don't get sunk when the waves come, when the storms come, when the raging storm comes in our life, whatever it is, loss of job, loss of a family member, sickness, death, whatever. Those storms are raging all around us. This is your anchor. This is your hope. This is your light. This is your pastor. Call on him. Yeah, I was so, I, I can't tell you, I, it drives me nuts when people don't call on the pastor, call on the elders of the church. I remember when I got my cancer diagnosis, they told us, well, you got six months. Oh, man, it was devastating. We went home, we cried. It was awful. Well, I told Marcia, call them. So the Bible says we need to call the elders of the church, have them come pray over us and anoint us with oil. Anoint us with oil? We're in a Baptist church. What are you talking about? That's... <laughs> so... So here we are. I, you know, it's, a word, it's what James says. You've got to look it up. I turn to the word of God. It says the elders come and they lay hands on you and they put oil on your head and they pray over you. And I said, call them. They came over that night. I got them all together. I said, you guys have to come. You're my pastor. You're the church. This is what it says. Well, they came and they gathered around me and they anointed my head with oil and they laid hands on me. Here I am. I don't know. It's 15 years ago, guys. I don't know what. You know, now there are other. I don't want you to think. No one knows the will of God. There are other people that had that happen in the church. There was a little girl, Lauren Shaver, as a young man, Brian, uh, uh, Brian Kellum. They didn't make it, you know. I don't know why God does those things, but I take comfort in the fact that he knows. 
He knows. His wisdom is not my wisdom. He let Lazarus die. You know, uh, Jesus, Lazarus was Jesus' best friend. It was his best friend. And the, they sent word to him five miles away. Come, you're, 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 the one you love is dead, is dying. He's sick. He needs your help. Come. And Jesus didn't come. And Lazarus died. And you can imagine the whole family gathered around Lazarus, right? And he's dying. He's suffering. He's hurting. And he dies. And finally, when Jesus comes, Jesus comes and he said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And why did Jesus let that happen? We don't know. We, we do know, thanks to the word, he goes, I'm glad I wasn't here so that you could know God's power and glory. God does things to glorify himself. I, it's a mystery. But we have a responsibility as Christians to be obedient to his word, to trust in him. He made this planet. He made this world. He made us. And he doesn't make junk. And he doesn't make mistakes. We have to trust him. This is the manual. This is where we need to go. Okay? All right. Get all excited. Okay, let's get to the scripture. All that's introduction. All right, we're doing good. All right, chapter Psalm 19. I think we have it up here. Uh, Shannon said he had it in there. There it is. Okay, we're going to read this thing. This is good. Psalm 19. I'm reading from the ESV. It's a good version. He says uh, in verse 1, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens to the circuit and a circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent and of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay. Verses 1 through 6. That's another, that's a whole nother sermon. So we're not going to go there, but man, guys, just if you, it blows, there was a guy, some, uh, some of these, um, paleontologist types that believe in evolution just drive me crazy. They can't, they can't do it. They can't prove that we evolved from these, uh, fishes that time plus matter plus chance equals some a moral universe and the moral world in which we live millions of years ago. It's not happening. God is revealed in nature, and there's so many proofs to that. So just study that on your own. And we may, get, we may do a Genesis thing later, but uh, that's, just, that's amazing. God reveals himself into the world. Men don't have an excuse. Okay, I want to teach you about these verses. We're going to focus on 7 through 9 and verse 11. I'm going to teach you about these verses. All right, verse 7. 
So we're talking about God's word. We're talking about studying God's word. Okay. So this is the point. We're going to get to the point. Verse seven. What does he say about the word? This is God talking. We know the word is inspired. All scripture is inspired by God and used for teaching. Here it is. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So the law of the Lord is perfect. What is the law of the Lord? It is the Torah, the divine, his divine law. And his teaching from God for our lives. He teaches us how to live our lives. Now the word, Yah, the word for Lord here is Yahweh. It is not Jehovah. Uh, I really don't know where Jehovah comes from. I think it comes from a... Some translation they did, but it's for it's Yahweh. So if yours says Jehovah, it's wrong. It's Yahweh. <laughs> so, so it's Yahweh. It's God. Now the God. It's important to know that Yahweh is the name for God. It means He keeps His promises. If He says something, it's true. It's going to happen. God is the keeper of His promises. When Israel was in captivity in Egypt, they said, "Go, God of Jacob, O God of Abraham, O God of Isaac." Why do they say that? Because they know that's the covenant. They know he's the covenant God. He keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises. Okay. What does he tell us about his teaching, his, his, his law? He tells us that it is perfect. What does that mean? Well, it's, it's amazing that word really does mean perfect. Uh, it's perfect in the sense of not, you know, beautiful per se, but it means whole and complete. It's entire. It means all-sided it covers everything. It is complete. You don't have to add anything to it. And he's, you know, so that's, I want you to realize that is a teaching that's applicable for us today. There is no need to add anything to this Bible. So when you come along and you got, I hope nobody in here is, well, maybe you, that's a good thing. So like Joseph Smith and the Mormons. That guy found some, he says he found some, God spoke to him, revealed some golden tablets nobody can find. And he wrote them down. And now this is the New Testament of God, additional to his word. That's bogus. That's, that's, this word is complete. You don't have to add anything to it. So keep that in mind. This is some of the teaching we can apply to our lives right now. It's complete. It's all sided. So the word of God is complete. Now, why, why is that important? Because it restores the soul. What does that mean? It transforms the soul. Same thing Psalm 1 said when he said that it's like a tree planted by streams of water. Well, I told you last time in Psalm 1, that word planted means replanted. And this word revives and restores means transformed. It transforms the inner man. The word of God is sufficient. It transforms the inner man. This is, if nothing else happens, if somebody gets up here like me and gets lost and stumbles around a lot, this is enough. If I were to just simply read the word of God, it would go forth. And God tells us this word will not return void. The word is sufficient to transform the inner man. And that's what he says. It's sufficient to transform the soul, the inner man, who you really truly are. Okay. Now, the second part of verse 7 tells, tells us that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. What does that mean? What's a testimony? It's, it's your story, yeah? This is God's story. This is it. This is God's story. And what is it good for? It makes wise. Now, why, what kind of wisdom? I'll tell you, there are a lot of smart people who aren't very wise in this world. I, mean, I can look at the, your, some of the elected officials we have. Example. So... 
Uh, that's not wisdom is discerning somebody who's able to make judgments, somebody who can um, decide what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, what should happen and what shouldn't happen. That's wise. That's wisdom. And the testimony of God, his story, the story of God is enough to make it wise. Now, who is it for? It's for the simple. You guys are going to love this. The word simple. If you don't, you might want to make a note if, you're, if you write in your Bible. This word simple means open door. It means open door. Okay? Now, this is, a, a, this is really, I guess it gets dear, near dear to my heart because I'm in school. And I see these kids, and they're like, oh, yeah, try this, try that, do this, do that. These kids don't know. what. If they're an open door, their mind is an open door. It stays open. Anything in, anything out. Anything in, anything out. They don't have wisdom to discern what they should let in and what they should let out. That's what wisdom does. It closes the door for bad stuff and opens the door for good stuff. It closes the door. That's what a simpleton is an open door. There's an illustration. Uh, I'm going to talk to you too much about what the kids do in school. It's scary. But <laughs> Aesop's fable. Everybody can remember Aesop's fable. Illustration with a man, a donkey, and a boy. Heard the story? You maybe you remember it. So a man was walking with a donkey to town, and his boy was with him. And he had the boy on top of the donkey. And he walked by this one group of people and they said, oh, look at that man making, you know, uh, setting his son up there and walking that lazy boy. He's just that son can walk. He should put his father up on that donkey. Well, the man just listened. So he got his son down off the donkey and he got up on the donkey, walked by another group of people. And they looked at him and said, look at that lazy guy. He's up on his donkey making his poor son walk on the ground. So he got off the donkey and then neither one of them was walking on the donkey, sat riding on the donkey. And they walked by another group. And the group says, look at those two dumb people. That donkey's not carrying either one of them. That's donkey, that's what it's for. And so uh, pretty soon the man decided that this wasn't any good. So they decided to get a pole. And they took that donkey and they tied him to the pole. And the boy and the donkey, the boy and the man carried the donkey. <laughs> so... They got to the bridge and the donkey started kicking and he fell over the bridge and died. So the moral of the story is, you know, you, that, that's, a, that's a simpleton. That is a simpleton. That's a person who has no wisdom. He listens to everything. Just open the door wide. Anything comes in, anything goes out, do whatever. You got to have wisdom. And the word of God gives us wisdom, right? So the first big truth of our, of our text, we have two big truths here. One of them is the word is comprehensive. It has the ability to transform who we are. It has the ability to save. The second big truth of this verse is that the word of God makes the simple wise. It gives us skill in how to live a godly life. Okay? So we're moving on. Verse 8. Let's get to verse 8. Doing good. I got a little bit of time. All right, this says in verse 8, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The precepts of the Lord are right. Now, what is the word for precept? The word for precept is divine principle or guidelines. It is, uh, it is a idea of safety. It is the idea of being straight and right. So the precepts, what do they do? They give us right guidance. They give us safety. They tell us things that where we should be and shouldn't be in this world, okay? So those are the precepts, the statutes of God. And it tells us they are right. Now, 
Why is it important to do right? Because it will bring you joy. It will bring you joy when you do right. I don't know about you, but there, I have not always done right. And I, there are more times than I can count of the times when I have erred, when I know I didn't do right. And the, the suffering and the pain and the heartache that came because of those choices was, was horrible, was awful. Right? He tells us, even in your marriages, you know, he says, do not commit adultery. Well, guess what? What happens when you do? How hard, how hard is a divorce? How hard is it to know that your husband or your wife was unfaithful? Is that difficult? The heartache and the pain and the suffering that comes. Divorce is not right. It's not right to lust after another person that's not your spouse. It's not right. The Bible tells us you shouldn't look on anyone in the nakedness of anyone unless they're your spouse. It's not right. What happens when you do? Bad things happen. He's telling us right here, the precepts of God are right. These are the guidelines. The guidelines are in the Bible. The Bible tells us you're not supposed to be, you know, uh, same men aren't supposed to like men. Girls aren't supposed to like girls. What happens? Disease. Horrible things happen when all those things get together. Bad things happen. God knew that. So he tells us. All right. Um, man, there's some good stuff here. So I also want to tell you, uh, I want to remind you a little history Thinking back to the to history, do you remember the Black Plague, the Black Death, and they killed like one third of the population? Remember that? Yeah. Okay. So you, I bet you didn't know this. Is over there in the Black Plague at the time, a lot of people blamed the Jews. They blamed the Jews. Why? They weren't getting sick. Why? Because they were following the precepts of God's word about cleanliness. And they thought because the Jews weren't getting sick, they must be bringing the plague. They followed the, 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 the cleanliness commands in God's word. They didn't get sick. Makes sense, right? So anyway, there's that. That's pretty good. An example. Follow God's word. It's right. It'll help you. Okay. So the first big truth, the word of God, or the second, this is the third truth here. It says the word of God guides us safely and rightly and fills us with joy. The Word of God reveals truth and it teaches us right from wrong. Let's see what verse 8 says. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So, all right, lightening the eyes. Let's talk about that for a second. Um, what does it mean to enlighten the eyes? So, there's a poem I want to share with you, a little poem to help you understand what that means. So, it says, and it's, I'm taking this from a Robbie Zacharias lesson. I listen to that guy all the time. The poem that he shares, and I forgot who the author is, but that's credit where credit goes. He says, um, these dim windows of the soul distort the heavens from pole to pole and goads you to believe a lie when you see with and not through the eye. People see with their eyes all the time. Just because you have eyes that work doesn't mean you can see anything. You have to see with, you have to see through the eye with a conscience, with a brain. If you go through the eye, you get to the brain. There's the mind. We have to have the mind of Christ. Where's the mind of Christ found? Right here in the manual. We have to have wisdom with our eyes. We have to see through our eyes, not with our eyes. Know for a fact that, hey, this isn't, this isn't right. It's not right to, to, to treat a kid like this. It's not right to steal. It's not right when you don't give your tithe to the church. 
You know, you see your checkbook, you see your paycheck, you see the salary you're getting. You see that and you know it. If you're seeing it with your mind and your heart and you have the mind of Christ, you know that God gave you all of it. It's your responsibility to give a little bit of it back. It's all he asked for is a little bit. Give it to his church. So that's what wisdom is. That's discernment. That's seeing with the eye. So there's that. It's pretty good. Okay. Is that all the truths we got for it? verse 8? It's probably not, but that's all the two, two truths I got. Let's go to verse, two, uh, verse 9. Verse 9. He says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 9. Okay, the fear of the Lord. I don't know, I had, I had trouble with this one because they told me the fear of the Lord it means Scripture. So, I don't know. I think fear of the Lord is when we read Scripture and we have a relationship with God, it creates in us a fear of the Lord, a reverence, an awe for God. It creates in us an awe for God. I know um, when I first got saved, man, it was awesome. I was at a Carmen concert many years ago. Carmen, love Carmen. So that's kind of, I know he's kind of weird, but that's cool. He's, he's, I'm weird too. So, uh, man, it was, the things he said, that God said through him and the scripture and the songs, I was changed that night. I was changed that night. And I had an insatiable desire for God's word. I was soaking it up. I was, I couldn't wait to get to church. I couldn't wait to study God's word. I was memorizing scripture lecture and I was like a big sponge but he created in me a reverence for God that I never had before. I didn't want to talk during the sermon anymore. I wanted to take notes. I didn't want to listen to junk on the radio anymore. I wanted to listen to sermons and spiritual songs and hymns that lifted me up. I had a reverence and an acknowledgement for what God teaches in this world as Christian. That's what we need to do as believers. That's what it's called being a Christian. It's having a fear of God, a reverence, okay? So what else is it in verse 9? We know it endures forever. That's, that's easy. It says uh, the grass fades, the flowers pass away, but the Word of God endures forever. So there we go. Always God, the Word of God endures forever. But in verse 9 it tells us the Lord's, the rules of the Lord are true. Now what are the rules? My translation says rules. I really don't like that word. More, it's more like the judgments and the verdicts. The judgments and the verdicts of God are true. Now, I don't know about you guys, but truth is a very ambiguous term these days. And I don't know why. People tell me, well, what's true for me is not necessarily true for you. I'm like, you knucklehead. It is. You can tell me, you, know, you can tell me all day that's not a door. I believe that's not a door. I, I, my, if it's true for you, if you think that's a door, that's good. That's good for you. But I don't think that's a door. Well, it's a door. But whether they want to, want to acknowledge it or not, you know what I'm saying? When the fire comes, they can try to go through the wall, but it ain't going to work. They're going to go through the door. So truth is what it is. And God's word is always true. It's always true. Truth conforms to reality. I don't get this. What's true for me is not true for you. Everybody has their own interpretation. That is a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It's new ageism. It's relativism. Not everything is relative. As a Christian believer, this is, the, this is what matters. This tells me what's true. It tells me what's right. It tells me the homosexuality is not right. It tells me I got to pay my taxes. It tells me I got to obey the laws of the land. It tells me I got to give a tithe to the church. This is the truth. 
I don't have to wonder whether I should sleep around before I get married. I don't have to wonder whether I should look at pornography. I don't have to wonder whether I should steal and kill. Those things are not, they're outlined right here. Now, if I'm a soldier, the Bible also tells me the government has authority to send me to war and has authority to give me authority to kill somebody if that government tells me that's my enemy. That's true. There's no, there's no moral argument about it. God's word is true. Period. End of story. Know it. Live it. Love it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you, God. He does good. Okay. Okay, so here we go. Two truths in verse 9. The Word of God is pure. It has no error. It has no fault. The Word of God is always dependable and it's always true. Now, so there's your two truths for that, verse 9. Now, let's uh, look at verse 10 real quick. Verse 10 is kind of a weird verse. It's just, uh, it's pretty simple. There's not too many complicated things about verse 10. He said, it is more to be desired than gold, and it's sweeter than honey. So that's, that's pretty simple. The Word of God is more valuable than anything. I kind of wonder, if, if your house was on fire, what would you take with you? What would you try to get? If you had to go somewhere to a desert island, like these guys naked and afraid, <laughs> yes, you, you, you inspired me, Kevin. <laughs> Um, so they go off into the jungle and wherever they are, and they get to take one thing with them. Well, I've got enough scripture memorized in my heart. I might actually take a mosquito net. But if I was, but if I was actually alone, you know, this would be a major thing. This, if I wouldn't want to be anywhere, I don't go on, on conferences. I don't go on trips. I, don't go, I take God's word with me. I might not be able to connect to the Internet and look up scripture on the, on the Internet, but I take the Bible with me. It's important. The word is the most valuable thing we have. God gives us his word. It's up to us to memorize it. All right. Now, <clears throat> verse 11. This is pretty good stuff right here. He says, moreover, by them is your servant warned. We already talked a little bit about that. One of the very first scriptures I ever memorized was Psalm 119.11. And it tells us, thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And that that was enough. That was enough for me to start memorizing Scripture. And I can't tell you how much Scripture, daily, I, Scripture, God brings Scripture to mind. Daily, every moment, I filter everything through the Word of God, through the Scripture. So, hide God's Word in your heart. Okay? Now, um, I close with this. We're going to close, because I know we're out of time. Um, well, I kind of wanted to talk about Odysseus again. We're not going to talk about him anymore. So the illustration that I want to leave you with is, um, you know, when God created this world, he could have, he could have created it where we had a choice or we didn't have a choice, where we, where we were made to love each other, where we were made to treat each other right. But he gave us choice. He gave us a free will and we get to choose and he created this world out of his love. It wasn't because he was lonely. Um, if you have anything that teaches you that God was lonely, I created a world. That's a false teaching. God is not lonely. Out of his love, he created this world. And he, wanted, he created a world in which we could express love and free will to each other. We could give love freely and can, we can receive love freely. And if it's not compelled, if it's not under compulsion, it's a meaningful life. It's a meaningful life. But because this world is full of free choice and free will, people don't always do so. 
And we, we end up leading lives like the headlines we read, where there are suicides all the time, daily suicides, where there is stealing and killing and all kinds of crime and violence, where there's heartache and people that are cheating on each other and divorces and abortions and just stuff that, just watch the video cameras in my school, it's just awful stuff that I see there. It's a, it's a broken world, and we lead broken lives. And it's not, a, but we have a manual. And when God created the world, it wasn't by mistake. He knew what was going to happen. That's why the Bible tells us that the lamb was slain when? Before the foundation of the world. He knew what it would cost him. He goes, should I create this world in which they can have love, which they can express love and receive love meaningfully? What is it going to cost me to give these people that ability? What is it going to cost me? It cost him everything. It cost him his son. He was broken for us. He was slain for us that we don't have to be broken. And he gave us a manual. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you have so much despair in this world. The things of this world can only hurt you. It is only God, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus, who was killed on a cross for us. He died on a cross for you and me so that we wouldn't have to deal with that stuff. We have hope. We know how it ends. And one day he's coming back. I can't wait. I hope you're with me when we go. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for your word, the truth the dependability, the reliability, the enduring quality that it is for giving us this word in which we can study. Lord, the word is your mind. It is the mind of Christ. It is where we can turn to know who you are. And it's by that word and through that word that you've revealed to us our need for you. You've shown us our sin. You've revealed to us our sin and our need for you. The broken lives we lead are because of sin, but you've given us a hope, a way out. You've given us Something to look forward to, God, and a Savior. Thank you so much, God, for dying for us. Father, I pray if anyone in this room has any doubts about their salvation, about whether or not if they were to go home today and get in a car wreck and not see the evening come, that they would know before they leave this place they can go to heaven, that you will, they will be changed in an instant and they will be brought to glory. And there you are to greet them with your nail-scarred hands, your pierced hand, and the, the, the scar on your side, and the, the scars from the thorns on your brow. You, you'll be standing there in heaven to greet them, God. Help no one leave today before they know for a fact they have you as their Savior. Thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you so much for the teaching, the unity, the cohesiveness, the truth of it. I pray your blessings on this church, Father. I pray your blessings uh, on each individual family as we go through this week. Be honored and glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.